What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Founders Journal, your window into my personal journey in the world of business. Whether you're a longtime listener or dropping in for the first time, my goal from day one has always been to help people become better business builders. And that is why this episode is gonna be a special one. We're doing something I like to call the mailbag, and I will be answering a few questions from listeners that have been sent in. And that reminds me, if you have a question that you want me to answer on an upcoming mailbag or turn possibly into a full topic of an episode of the show, email me at alex at morningbrew.com. Literally ask me anything, and I'll try my best to answer them right here on the pod. So far, the mountain of emails continues to pile on, and I love it. So let's hop into the first ever mailbag. Before we get into our first question, you will actually hear, I believe for the first time, from my producer, Ray. He is the person behind the scenes who makes this podcast possible. He'll be reading your questions to me. He may follow up with additional questions or thoughts on my answers. So uh, before we hop in, Ray, you want to say what's up? What's up, listeners? How are you doing? How was that greeting? Was that Founders Journal standard? phenomenal podcast voice. It makes me actually feel a little self-conscious about my podcast voice. <laughs> so you have uh, no. a, bu- a bunch of uh, questions from listeners. We basically have like the combination of my inbox that has been destroyed by Founders Journal listeners, as well as the original Founders Journal email inbox that's been bombarded as well. And so you've just picked a few of the best questions from listeners. Yep. And honestly, we're not lying. We've been getting a ton of emails and we really appreciate it. Getting through them, we're going to, I think finally it's I just reached it. out to Alex it's and worth said, it. hey, hey, let's just get through it. Let's reach out and try to get through these emails as much as possible. So, so let's do this thing. Okay, Alex, let's get started with our first question. This is from Sandra S. She asks, how quickly should you have investor conversations? I've got a proof of concept and business approach in a pitch deck, but do I need to secure some IP legally first? What about international investors? I spent two weeks in Saudi Arabia last March and have some great contacts, but I'm a little worried about their financial ability to take it and do their own thing. Okay, so I feel like there's two questions here from Sandra. One question is like, when should you fundraise? Like when should you, when in the process of building a business, should you go and raise capital? And the second question is like, how worried should I be about someone stealing my idea? Mm Mm-hmm. The first answer to raising capital, I think the first thing you have to answer for yourself is like, what type of business are you trying to build? And is it the right business to go and raise capital? You know, I'll just use the example for Morning Brew. We went and we raised 750K in the early days of the business. We raised that money actually a year and a half after starting the company because we were able to run our newsletter at basically, I think two hundred dollars of cost a month. That you know, that's one of the beauties of a newsletter business is you can run it extremely lean. And we ended up raising that seven hundred fifty k in twenty sixteen into twenty seventeen, basically because we knew we didn't want to write our content long term. We needed to be able to hire a writer. We weren't making money from advertising yet, and so we needed cash from investors to pay our first hire, uh, which basically, you know bridge the gap between hiring someone and starting to make money from advertising. My other business that I just started, which is a ghostwriting agency, the nice thing about a services business or an agency business is 
you can get it cash flowing day one, right? You can start making money the second that a client says they want to start working with you. They'll pay you your monthly retainer, then you'll do work for them. And so you actually have this amazing thing of getting cash up front. The downside of a services business is it doesn't scale like a software business. You need human capital to scale as you scale your clientele. So I think the first thing I'd wonder from Sandra is like, what type of business are you talking about? Is this a hardware business? Is it a software business? I'd love to know kind of what Sandra's experiences in building businesses. Is this your first startup you've started? Have you started many before? Did you have liquidity from any of your original businesses that you can put into this new business? I would say my general rule of thumb, and this is, I think I'm jaded from seeing a lot of companies raise a lot of capital that shouldn't have. Before you go and raise money, and especially before you go raise a lot of money, you should be completely sure that you want to go down the path of taking money from professional investors. Because once you do that, the expectation of how you're gonna grow your business changes materially, and whether people like to say it or not, sometimes the tail wags the dog in the sense that you will feel the need to set your company strategy in a certain way to grow in the way that investors want you to grow. And so I'd love to know what type of business this is, um, and I'd also love to know how much of your own capital do you plan on putting into this business versus taking from other investors? In terms of fear of people stealing ideas, it's funny because my answer 99% of the time is like, I think that fear is bullshit. I think that ideas are important. Like exceptional ideas are really valuable, but execution is obviously as important. And as I've gone about building my businesses, like I've shared ideas around businesses that I want to start or my strategy for my businesses well in advance of actually doing the thing. And kind of the way I've always thought about it is like, if someone wants to take my idea and they get as passionate about it and they're going to do all of the work for the next eight years to build out my vision, well, then they deserve it because they've done the work. But I would say for most of the time, people are interested in hearing ideas. They're not interested in doing the work. And so I would never worry about sharing ideas because also when you share ideas, you get feedback, like what you give to the world is sent back to you. And so some of the best feedback I've gotten, my ability to hire people because I share my ideas publicly, my ability to get clients because I share my ideas publicly has been a massive accelerant for my businesses. I will say though, I have heard about a number of entrepreneurs who take meetings with investors. They pitch their businesses. The investor says, thank you, but no thanks will pass. And then they see a very similar business either invested in or actually built if the investment firm has like a venture arm where they incubate their own companies. So I actually would be more protective of my idea when talking to investors because I would say they have more layered agendas than someone you just tell about on Twitter who's an individual who's interested in entrepreneurship. It does remind me of you know, what you mentioned before is that the likeliness that your idea is 100% original is just very slim to none because the likeliness that someone else even probably had the same thought at the end of the day, it's like how you execute it, how it comes to fruition, because the idea itself might be great, but then you still have to do everything, do the work. And it kind of reminds me of just like how MySpace, Facebook kind of came to be. It's like, no one remembers MySpace, but they were practically the same thing. But Facebook just took it and became a full, full-on social media company. Well, I think that brings up another good point, which is like in most businesses, 
they're not that the market isn't an N of one market. And what that means is like yeah. an N of one market means like it's a winner takes all. Typically markets that are winner takes all are markets driven by network effects. So things like social networks, things like Uber, Grubhub, uh, where accumulating, land grabbing a market is important. That's where like you either want to be one or not be in the space. But going back to, you know, Sandra's question, even in the worst case scenario, when someone stole your idea, the question is, are you in a market that can't have multiple players? Because mm -hmm. most markets have multiple players that are multi-billion dollar players. So there's enough to go around depending on the market that you're in. It, exactly. Okay, let's move on to the next question. This question is from JC. Jay asks, so much of starting a business focuses on the opportunity, overall strategy, etc. I'm curious if you have a playbook for what you have to do in the first 90 days or so of starting a new company. Yeah, I mean, I think it's different for every company, but there are the foundational things around company starting that you do no matter what business you're in. So what I would say, like I'm just gonna think about for Morning Brew or for my ghostwriting agency story arb, like what are the systems we've had to have in place in order to literally like have these businesses function? We have a company bank account, which right now we use Mercury Bank, which is like a startup bank. You have to get a trademark on your company name to protect your likeness. And so there's a trademark lawyer that I use for all of this. If you have a paid product, like someone's paying you for a service or for a product, you need to have payment processing set up. So we, we use Stripe. Assuming you have an employee or a co-founder, you need HR set up. So payments, healthcare benefits. So like we're bringing on our first employee for StoryArb. So we had to start looking into healthcare benefits and into paying them their salary. So we're using Gusto for HR. I believe at Morning Brew, we used JustWorks. For sales, you know, there's so many different options you can use. We're using Salesforce. Just an interesting thing to me is I always assume Salesforce cost a shit ton of money. But like for us to use this as like a very small early stage business is I think $29.99 a month. So it's way more reasonable than I thought. So we're using Salesforce for our sales pipeline. And then in terms of project management, I would say for any product-oriented business or any service business, a project management tool is just a very important thing. You know, there's so many out there. There's Airtable, there's Monday, there's Asana, there's all of them. Uh, we're using Asana. And then the only other, uh, I would say, major thing is you have to create your operating agreement. So you start your business, you have to actually create your entity. We created a New Jersey LLC. You have to um, register for your tax number, your EIN. You can either do that through a startup lawyer if you have a contact, or I used a service called Doula, which is basically you do all of your business registration, your tax ID in one place. And so those are all of the systems that we've used to get our ghostwriting agency off the ground. And I would say that exists for every business. Like that is kind of the stack of payment, HR, benefits, legal entity, project management, sales that you need in order to get a business off the ground. I have a follow-up. Yeah. Granted that Morning Brew in the early days, much different business than what you did with The Plunge and what you're doing with Story Arb. But after your experience with Morning Brew, was there anything that you did in the early days that when you started The Plunge and Story Arb that you're like, yeah, I didn't really need to do that. And that was a lesson learned from your experience with Morning Brew. Yeah, I would say it goes two ways. Either 
I didn't really need to do that, or I did that, and I should do it very differently this time around. Mm. So for example, in the early days of Morning Brew, we were the definition of like scrappy, bootstrappy yeah. college students. We didn't have money to put into this business. And so anytime we could get something for free or discounted, we did that. And mm. so like, I would actually say that's a weakness of mine because I'm constantly looking for ways to get a deal. But sometimes overpaying for things and paying like a good price for things is important because it it's almost the way I think about it is it's like, if I buy a t-shirt from Uniqlo, I love Uniqlo, but like that t-shirt I could assume is destroyed in three months. If I buy a great t-shirt from like, I don't know, Lululemon, it's around for three years. And so it's like maybe actually paying up for Lululemon was worth doing. I think about it the same way with certain services in startup businesses. So like when we had our legal documents created for Morning Brew when we were students at Michigan, we had Michigan Law School had a law clinic where there was a lawyer who advised law students to create paperwork for Michigan startups, and they do it for free. So we had all of our original like operating agreement, our tax number, all those filings done for free, but it ended up being really shoddy work. So the first lawyer that we ended up getting after graduating from college basically had to redo everything, and his bill was 3x what it should have been because he had to do all of their work over. Um, so that's one thought that comes to mind. Another, actually just a lesson I take from the brew. It's amazing when you're resource constrained, how prudent you are about not being a perfectionist or like doing too much work that doesn't actually push things forward. So what I mean by that is like some people when they launch a business feel like they have to create the most beautiful website for when you publicly launch or they feel like they have to create the most beautiful pitch deck to share with investors. And of course, you don't want to embarrass yourself. But like, for example, StoryArb, my agency, we don't have a website for it yet. We literally do not have a website. And my view is like, it just hasn't been mission critical because we've had enough mm -hmm. demand from people where I can record a video of myself explaining this business. I can close them. So why do we need a website? And it was like that in the early days of the, the brew, which is like, we were the definition of, it wasn't just minimum viable product. It was like minimum viable business. And I actually think this thought process around minimum viable business, while there can be trade-offs because the, the risk of the way I approach things is I could not nurture a business enough with resources because I'm so, like I have such a scarcity mentality, but I think it's also such a valuable thing to kind of treat every buck like it's worth uh, a bar of gold. Okay, so that was the second question from JC. We're gonna take a quick break and then more questions from listeners when we get back. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Okay, moving on. We've got a couple more for you, Alex. For the next question, we're going to actually combine them because they're pretty similar. Uh, great producer, Jaden, pick these out. There we go. From Tanner P and Brian B. I listened to the update on your ghostwriting agency. Loved hearing your prioritization headspace. I also saw your LinkedIn post about niching down rather than big for the sake of being big. Both <laughs> I think examples. They, yeah, I think they mean ra <laughs> niching down rather than being big for the sake of being big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Both examples seem to rely heavily on years or decades of experience slash success. Can you imagine a version of your agency being built by someone that hasn't already acquired the high quality talent and has the large network that you have? So it's a great question by Tanner P and Brian B. The short answer is yes. Like, I think there are some businesses that not anyone who is interested in building a business can build. Like when I think about Brett Adcock, who I interviewed, and he's building a deep hardware and software company, right? He's like literally creating humanoid robots. He wants to have a million of these humanoid robots by, I can't remember what year, like by 2030 or something. Like, no, not anyone can build that business because there's such a cross disciplinary wealth of knowledge you need. Like you you need to basically be able to go like not just an inch deep and a mile wide or an inch wide and a, a mile deep. You have to literally be able to go like a mile deep, a mile wide. And so I think there are just certain people in the world, a very select few that are built to build that type of business. But for something like a service business or like the ghostwriting agency, I really believe that this is actually a great entry business for entrepreneurs because it doesn't require a lot of cash up front. It's an agency, so you can find your first client and then go source someone you need to pay to service your client once you have the client in mind. Like basically your job, your only job that exists with this business, if you don't have a built-in network, is one person. You just need to convince one person to pay you to service them and you have a business. And so my view is like, what's the difference between hypothetically you building that business and me building that business is my answer is just time. By having the experience of building the brew and or not just the brew, building a business in general and by building a large audience on different social platforms, I've just bought myself time. I bought myself time because say if you have no network at first, it'll take you, let's call it three years to get 50 clients. I'm able to get 50 clients in three months just because it's ironic, but like I've spent eight years building an audience. So it's not like you're actually spending more time than me. Our timetables are just shifted. I spent eight years, the last eight years building an audience, and now I'm seeing the value of that audience to get my first 50 clients. You just have to put in a few years of work to get those 50 clients. So I would say it's gonna take you longer time because you don't have the network. And so you have to go earn those 50 clients. A lot of them will come through referrals versus just people implicitly trusting you because of the reputation you've built in the past. And I would say the second reason that'll take more time is you're gonna make more mistakes. And that's not a bad thing. I think that's just a function of being a first time entrepreneur. I spoke to this guy who was one of the founders of FanDuel, the betting company. And he's exited FanDuel. He's running like four companies now. And I distinctly remember my conversation with him where I asked him like, how are you running these four businesses? Like, do you have any balance in life? Why aren't you taking any sort of a break? And he's like, yeah, I'm working far less than I was working at FanDuel and I'm running four companies. And the reason is FanDuel was my first business and 80% of what I spent my time on ended up being a waste. And 20% was like well-spent time. And so now as I'm building these businesses, I'm just focusing my energy on the 20% right things that I should be doing with my time. And so I think that's where it'll also take you more time. Not that you're not gonna find success, but it's gonna take you longer because a lot of your time is gonna be trial and error because you're gonna spend your time unwisely. You're going to shift course, get back on track. And that is just the nature of building a company. There's no way to avoid it. You just have to know that you're on a different timetable. Okay, last question is from Harris F. And this is a pretty relevant top of mind for you. 
What is your framework for understanding when to pivot from an idea within your business? Yeah, well, I just um, pivoted out of the plunge, my beautiful backyard game that I really thought I was going to take over the world with. I've uh, you, I've hung you up. Still the, have a few. <laughs> I have two that are next to me. Two actually different models of them. I think the only other ones in existence are the ones that I sent to my ambassadors in different cities of the U.S. that they're either collecting dust with right now or using as a super heavy paperweight. But <laughs> I, I think pivoting really just comes down to constantly taking in data about what your customers are telling you, looking at what all your options are based on this new data you've taken in, and making choices for yourself that you think get you closer to what your ultimate goal is. And that's like the most abstracted version. So let me just use an example, like with the plunge. And for those of you who are listening who have no idea what I'm talking about, I built a backyard game. It was basically like axe throwing for your backyard. You throw a plunger at a, like a smooth or shiny board. And if you get it to stick, you earn points. And it was a ton of fun. We were getting ready to launch it on Kickstarter. I put about $40,000 into the business. And our customers gave us data that we really had to think about. Basically, you know, over the course of three months, we hosted maybe six or seven games. Over 100 people played the plunge. And I would say a constant piece of feedback we got was that the game was too hard, where people would play the game for like 45 minutes and they would hit the board once. They would get it to stick once. And some people would keep playing it because they were just like, maniacally competitive about getting it to stick. But then once they got it to stick, they would lose interest. Or there would be people who just would get so discouraged because they couldn't hit the plunge after four minutes and they would just stop. And so we eventually had the conversation of like, what are our options and what are our goals? And, you know, my highest level goal is like, I want to keep building businesses for as long as I'm interested in it and I'm still very interested in it. I've had like such an amazing privilege of having a liquidity event from Selling Morning Brew and I don't want to go in the wrong direction. So said differently, I don't want to just take all of my saved up money and put it into businesses that just suck away kind of the nest egg. And so my view is how can I keep building businesses that I think have the opportunity to add value to people, to create value for my family and that I continue to enjoy building. And so with the plunge, there was the option of keep pushing along, even though our customers are telling us it's too hard, let's just launch the thing and see what people say. My fear with that is we'd sell a bunch of the board because people trust me, they'd use it, they'd find it to be too difficult, and then they'd want to return it, and then we'd have to deal with the returns and storing all this inventory. The second was pivot the game and turn it into an easier suction-based game, something like throwing a ball with suction cups instead of a plunger, make it like bocce rules or cornhole rules. I thought that was really interesting, but again, I'd already spent $40,000 on the game. My guess is I would have had to spend another ten to 15000 to just get to a place where the product is ready to then test with people. So it's not just $15,000, it's probably another four to six months of time to get more customer feedback. Or the third option was to hang up the plunger, take the L, call it $40,000 of education, st still less than college, and focus on something else that's showing promise. And at the time, StoryArb, the ghostwriting agency, already had a few clients. It was cash flowing from day one. I realized that I loved the feeling of something cash flowing from day one versus spending 12 months on something, dumping money into it and waiting for cash flow. And so that's the decision I made for myself. And I really just think it's this ongoing awareness around data you're getting from your customer, thinking about what your three or four most probable options are, and then picking the option at a point in time 
that is most aligned with kind of like your long-term goal. And that's what I did. Well, Ray, we did it. That is the end of our mailbag episode. Thank you, Sandra, Jay, Tanner, Brian, for submitting all of those questions. Um, and Ray, what a good job. What a great radio voice. Great uh, perspective on the answers to the questions. I tried, I tried. <laughs> this was fun to do with you. And we'd love to keep this going. So if you have any questions about your business, about my business, about building companies, shoot me an email at alex at morningbrew.com. And the awesome team, the dynamic duo of Jaden and Ray will look through everything. I'll also look through it and we'll pick, I don't know, three or four of our favorite questions. And we'll do another mailbag episode over the coming weeks. And uh, we'll keep the momentum going. That's it for today's Founders Journal. And we'll catch you next episode. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.